Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here today. It's good to see we've got uh, some new people that have come back. Not sure what that's all about. but <laughs> And we've got some old friends that we haven't seen for a while, and it's good to see them too. It's great to see you all. Now, I don't know um, if, if I mentioned this. I may not have mentioned this, but it's something that's really, really important. I need to mention it to you. The greens are going up. What does that mean? My soccer team... Plymouth Argyle was promoted yesterday to the championship of the English Football League. That means they're one division below the Premier League. It means nothing to you all. It makes me happy. We had a strategic, elder strategic meeting here yesterday all day while they were playing. And I had one eye on the meeting and one eye... Ah. So I've got my little Rubik's Cube, and I've got my Plymouth Argyle drinking thing. So I'm happy. My team's going up. So at the end of this uh, today, I'd just like to hear you all say, the greens are going up. All right, let's just practice it. One, two, three. Oh, no, I'm going to be here for a while. You don't realize how important this is to me. All right, one, two, three. Well, The Stars are through to the next round of the Stanley Cup. More importantly, the Oilers are through to the next round of the Stanley Cup. And the Greens are going up. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Please forgive us, God. <laughs> so we're in a series um, called Real God, Real Life, based on a study of Second Peter. Now, if you didn't get sermon notes this morning, you need sermon notes. Anybody not get them? Everybody's got them. One back there. Where's, where's our, our guys are out there? Two. Oh, he's making more copies. All right. I underestimated. I'm sorry. Now, if you didn't, I, I suggested to you to go ahead and read Second Peter. And today we're going to look at the whole of chapter 2. If you didn't read Second Peter chapter 2, after today, you're going to be really glad or you're going to be sad, because it's different. It's, it's a different one. We're going to read some weird stuff in there today. It's all about truth and righteousness. So, I mean, I mean, good things. The premise of the series is that your view of God is the most important thing in your life. It's what drives your life. If your view of God is real, you've got real life. You've got good life. If your view of God is not correct then your life is, is offline or not on the right tracks. Maybe that's a better way to put it these days. If, if God is who God is in your life, then you are going to be strong in the midst of struggles. And if God isn't, struggles are going to get you down. That's just the way it is. So we, uh, hang on a minute. Make sure I've got the right sermon here. I don't. Just hold on for a second. I'll just get the correct one. Anyone want to hear last week's again? <laughs> it was good. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> Where are we? Uh, this is, uh, yep, that's right. That's here. Message. Is it the 30th today? Good. We'll go with that one. It's my granddaughter's birthday today. 
and the greens are going up. Don't know if I mentioned that. All right, there we go. That's the right message. So chapter 2. Paul, Peter, writes this message, this, this letter to the churches in the area of Asia for three primary reasons. Number one, to encourage right living. This is right in your notes. Number two, to refute wrong teaching. And number three, to present an accurate view of God. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up right away about this chapter. If you're anything like me, sometimes you're reading through the Bible and you'll catch something and it doesn't sit right with you. You know, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm reading through and I'll, I'll read a passage of scripture and I'll look up to God and it's like, what's that all about, God? It just doesn't rub me the right way. That could be the case in this passage of scripture this morning. So uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so strap in. It's not a long chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to look at it from a high level. I'm not going to do the expository teaching that I normally like to do. And I want to bring it back around to um, some pointers to help us know how to identify what is true and what isn't true. So 2 Peter, it begins with the word but. So if you see anything that begins with the word but, you want to know what the but's there for, right? I mean, if I came up to you and just said, but you owe me $20, you'd want some context. Why do I owe you $20? So we're going to go back to the last couple of verses of chapter 1 to get the context. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So what Peter is simply saying there is that you can trust the authentic word of God. It is true. You can depend on it. But then comes a but, and it's a big but right here. He says, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. I'm not going to do expository, but I'm going to interject. This is really on Peter's heart because he denied the master. So this means something to him. It kind of... Even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom 
because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. A little interjection here. He's not talking about aliens or anything weird like that. If you do a little bit of research on this, he's talking about um, fallen angels, demons. So there's a spiritual realm, and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the spiritual realm. That's what this refers to. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against these supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain amongst you. You think Peter's upset? <laughs> kind of comes across, doesn't it? They, are a, they delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure, lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are a slave of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. Another says a washed pig returns to the mud. All right, then. <laughs> if we were to break this down, if I was to teach on this the way that I normally like to teach, we'd be here for a long, long time. There's a lot of stuff in there. So like I said, I'm going to come at this from a high level and then kind of bring it around and, and give you some points to, to seeking the truth. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there, and I invite you, if you've got questions with this, write down your questions, text me, email me, give me a call, uh, and we can go over it, okay? Because there's, there's a lot of different stuff there. So, Peter begins by painting this picture of what 
the authentic truth really is. You can trust the prophets. You can trust the words they wrote. For them, the prophets was the Old Testament at that time. They didn't have, they had some of the New Testament, not all of it. He says they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And you can trust the authentic word of God. And then he throws in this great big but. There were liars, deceivers, false prophets, sowing seeds of deceit, even back then when those prophets were writing down scripture. And then he carries on and says, and there are these evil people that twist the truth living amongst you. Now remember, he's writing to Christians. This whole letter is written to the followers of Christ. So he's talking about in their assemblies, these people are in there. And and the reality of it, this is still true. This is still true. Here's the deal. Evil is real. Satan and his dominion of, of dark fallen angels, a.k.a. demons, are real. And they want to deceive. And they especially want to deceive the followers of Christ. Satan is the father's, father of lies. That's right in your notes there if you're keeping notes. He is the father of lies. John 8, 40, 8 44 says, For you are children... Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, the people in the church. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So that's Jesus' description of our enemy, Satan. His, his primary goal is to keep people separated from God. And he's got a number of tools that he uses to do that. Temptation, it's a biggie. Guilt is a huge one that he uses. Apathy, oh, it's okay. But then he goes into lies and deceit. You know, if you've got people who are following Jesus, genuinely seeking to follow Jesus, lies and deceit are maybe the way to get at those people. Persuading people that he and all this supernatural stuff, that's not real, you know. I don't exist. Twisted truth is what he loves. If you want to bring an institution down, or even a country, or a, a culture, the best way to do it is from the inside out. Divide and conquer. Fake news, twisted truth, deceit. That, those were the weapons that Satan was using. If you can't persuade them that it's all nonsense, then twist the truth. Come at it from a weird angle. And it says, he, he warns them that these false teachers are at work and they will cleverly teach destructive heresies. So it's not stuff that's readily seen. It, it, it's very clever. This deceit is, it looks like the truth. A destructive heresy, a heresy is a teaching that differs from that which is true or twists that which is true. And Satan is good at this. He presents what is good as bad, what is 
unreasonable as reasonable, what is reasonable as unreasonable, and what is bad as good. I mean, he's very good at all this. He sows seeds of distrust. He did it right at the get-go. You know, you go back to the very beginning of, of Genesis, and there are two people on the earth, right? Eva, Adam and Eve, and Satan's at work, tempting Eve. Did God really say that? Did he really mean this? And he speaks truth to her, but he twists it, and she falls for it. So right from the get-go, Satan is in there with his lies and his twisted truth. And he's still doing it today. A destructive heresy is a teaching that not only differs from the truth or twists the truth, but it is harmful. It is anti-truth. It hurts the people who believe the truth, and it hurts the people who believe the lie. It's just evil. So this is what Peter's talking about in this chapter, and it flows over to the next one that we're going to look at next week. Next week, And he doesn't hold back. I mean, his wording... These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, bought to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They're sharing communion and meals together. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. And then further down, he goes on to say, These people are as useless as dried-up springs or mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And then this last bit I'll explain a little bit. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse than before. So you know he's angry. He is, I'll bet his blood pressure was up through the roof when he was writing this letter. It's like, man, these people, who do they think they are? So these false teachers, they're using their position of authority to lure people into sin. They were using their authority and false teaching to make money. We see it these days. They they were on tour going from church or or synagogue, meeting people and presenting themselves. You know, you hear it now. If you're faithful and you give generously to God, God will be faithful and give generously to you. And the more faithful you are, the more you give, the more God is going to give you. So people would give them this money that, you know, they're pretending that it's for God and God's going to give you money back. We hear it on TV all the time these days. There's no real teaching. Jesus, as far as we can tell, didn't own anything, not a thing. 
Everything he had was donated by somebody. The clothes on his back, the sandals on his feet. He owned nothing. There was no prosperity gospel in the Bible. But there's a truth that comes out of this. You can find or you can twist any scripture to match whatever immoral behavior you want to indulge in. And I've heard all kinds of things. People have come to me with, well, I think God thinks this is okay. Well, why do you think it's okay? Well, look what this scripture says. So they're using their position to make money. And they were using their position of authority to lure vulnerable people into sexual immorality. It was all about money and sex. And the, and the idea that they were selling these people on is it's okay. You know, Jesus does forgive, right? You're forgiven. It really doesn't matter how you live, does it? It, it, it was very much centered on the philosophy that if you've got your ticket to heaven, you can go and live like a child of hell. Have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't matter. You believe God forgives. What's the problem? I mean, twisted truth. Here's the truth. Righteousness and truth matter to God. Righteousness and truth matter to God. And unrighteousness matters to God. It will not go unpunished. That's what Peter is sitting out in this. You, you know, you think you can live this way. And you do have grace and you do have forgiveness. But that's not a license to abuse your relationship with Jesus. And he will punish it. And he's writing this to Christian people. If you're a follower of Christ, this is a tough teaching. If you're a follower of Christ and you are living in unrepentant, ongoing sin, expect God to deal with you. He cares about you. He loves you. He does not want you to live in that manner. And he will do what is necessary to rescue you from that. And that might not be a pleasant process. That's what Peter was talking about when he wrote that stuff about those who knew the truth and then have gone from the truth. He says they were worse off. They're worse off now than they were before. Uh, so a little bit of honesty here, transparency. Before I was a Christian, you know, I didn't care. <laughs> I, I had morals, but I really didn't care. You know, what you could get away with, you could get away with. And, you know, I was a bricklayer, and I used to work for a company, and, and I had jobs on the side, and I'd do those jobs. All the material for the jobs on the side came from the company I worked for. Pay the truck driver, fiver, load up some bricks and some stuff, take it over there. That's how we did it. And everybody thought that was great. I didn't have a conscience, didn't care. Could do whatever I want. After I became a Christian, now it matters. Now I've got a conscience. Now I've got the Holy Spirit within me. So I think a part of what Peter is saying here is when you don't care and you're not a follower of Christ, 
we should not expect non-Christians to adhere to Christian values. I hear Christians all the time complain about non-Christians. They don't care. Most of this stuff is written to us who do care, who have the Holy Spirit and should be living in a different manner. And your conscience should bother you. The Spirit should bother you when you don't live that way. And I think that's a little bit of what Peter is talking about. Ignorance is one thing. Unrepentant sin is a whole nother thing. The Lord expects us to live in obedience. He absolutely forgives our disobedience, but he doesn't brush it under the carpet. So no, that's okay. You're one of mine. If you're living in ongoing disobedience, he is going to get your attention. And you will regret it. And the truth matters to God. Righteousness matters to God. The truth matters to God. So these deceivers were around then. They were around before. They're still around. So how do we stay true to God's truth and not? fall into deception. So I've got five pointers for you this morning, okay? First one, know what you believe and why you believe it. It sounds simple. Coming from the outside in, the first thing I did when I started to get involved with this Christianity thing is I wanted to investigate everything about it. Where did this Bible come from? Who wrote this Bible? How do we know it's true? What's this religion? What's that? I had a blank slate. I wanted to know, and I researched, and I researched, and I dug, and I dug, and I read all kinds of books because I wanted to know. One of the most surprising aspects of Christianity that I've discovered when I got into Christianity is that people who've been part of it from childhood mostly don't know why they believe what they believe. They believe it because mom and dad said so. And the preacher said so. And, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this is just the truth. I'm so surprised sometimes when people that I've seen sitting here for years and years and years will come to me and ask me a question. And I'm like, how do you not know this? How can you be a follower of Jesus and not know a basic, simple truth like this? So please, come and ask me your questions, because I want you to know, but you're responsible for what you know. Know what you believe, and know why you believe it. Look into it. Dig into it. Here's the thing. Scripture is very often open to interpretation, right? It was written over 5,000 years. It was written in different languages by people at all different stratas of life. It's a mishmash. And the Bible's not a book. It's 66 books. It's a library. And when you translate that library into our languages, and we don't have the original documents. I hope I don't pop your bubble here because there is no writing 5,000 years old. It rotted. It went away. But, you know, there are copies that come down through. Sometimes there are things in there that... This person looks at it and says, well, that means this. Somebody else looks at it and says, no, I think it means this. And a third person looks at it and says, nah, what are you two talking about? It means this. Okay, well, what's the truth? We have what we call essential beliefs 
And we have what we call non-essential beliefs. Essential beliefs are fundamental core truths. That's in your notes there. They are non-negotiable truths. These are rock-solid things. You can't deviate from this. If you deviate from this, you deviate from God's truth. And then we have what we call unessential beliefs that are open to interpretation. They don't affect the core of what makes us Christian, and we can agree to see things differently. Some of the things like that, the age of the earth. Some people think that God created the earth in a literal seven days. Maybe he did. They have the same amount of knowledge and information as I do. Other people believe, no, no, that was a relative seven days. It was thousands of years. And we'll read in the next chapter how Peter talks about how a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. So, okay, what was it? I don't really know. I'm not going to let it affect my relationship with Jesus or my relationship with you. The millennial period at the end of Revelation when Jesus comes back and he takes the people up to be with him. There are some people that believe that it happens before what's called the tribulation. There are some people that believe that it happens in the middle of the tribulation. There are some people that believe that it ends at, happens at the end of the tribulation. They all have scripture that kind of points to those things. And we can spend forever arguing about it, or we can say, you know what? That's an unessential, it, it's not core to what makes us Christian. And I might not see it your way, but that really doesn't matter that much. What day of the week should you worship on? Saturday, Sunday. Paul even writes about it. Don't argue over it, guys. Some people think Saturday's the right day. Some people think Sunday's the right day. Whatever God puts on your heart, do that. It's not core to your belief. Food and drink. Can I drink this? Can I eat that? Some people say yay. Some people say nay. What happens at the moment of death? Do I go straight to be with Jesus? Do I go in the ground and sleep for a while? Is it both? I could give you scripture that points to all of them. I'm not worried about it. I know where I'm going. Doesn't matter if I have a rest or I get there right away. It really doesn't matter. It's not core to my faith that makes, that makes me a Christian. So those things are what we call unessential beliefs. They are inter interpretable truth. Thank you. But we have fundamental beliefs. We have non-negotiable beliefs. So you'll see on your notes today, it's bigger. I put in our Lakeway 101 class, our membership class, we have our core beliefs in there. So I copied this out of that and put it on you. I'm going to go through them real quick, all right? These are our core, eight of them, I believe, core beliefs. This you could, you could go to the Lutheran church, they've got the same core beliefs. You could go to the Presbyterian church, you could go to the Methodist church, you could go to the Catholic church, they've got the same core beliefs. These are the things that unify us. If you step outside of these core beliefs, you're no longer unified with us. So, let's go over them real quick. God. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He has eternally existed in three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
These three are co-equal and are one God. There is nowhere in the Bible where you will find the word Trinity. I talk about the Trinity all the time. So why do we believe in the Trinity? See all those verses I put up there and I put on your notes? Go read them. <laughs> and you'll see why we use this word Trinity. What's at the beginning of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's at the beginning of John? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that all things that were created were created through the Word. In Colossians, it says that Jesus created all things. Well, if God created all things and Jesus created all things, how do we reconcile that? Next one, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is co-equal with the Father. Jesus lived a sinless human life and offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all people by dying on a cross. He rose from the dead after three days to demonstrate his power over sin and death. He ascended to heaven's glory and will return to the earth to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's a bunch of scriptures. You can go to the scriptures and read this stuff. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son of God. He is present in the world to make men and women aware of their needs for Jesus Christ. He points us to Jesus. He also lives in every Christian from the moment of salvation. He provides the Christian with the power for living, understanding of spiritual truth, and guidance in doing what is right. He gives every believer a spiritual gift when they are saved. As Christians, we seek to live under his control daily. So these are basic beliefs. I wanted to give them to you so you can go away and look at these things. The Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. It is inspired by God. People. Us. People are made up in the spiritual image of God. To be like him in character. People are the supreme object of God's creation. The Bible says that. Of everything that God created. The angels, everything. The crown of his creation is us. Like, wow, what were you thinking? <laughs> he was thinking way above what I'm thinking. <laughs> People are the supreme object of God's creation. Although every person has tremendous potential for good, all of us are marred by an attitude of disobedience toward God called sin. This separates people from God and causes many problems in life. That is a massive understatement. Salvation is God's free gift to us, but we must accept it. We can never make up for our sin by self-improvement or good works. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer for, of forgiveness can anyone be saved from sin's penalty. When we turn from our self-ruled life and turn to Jesus in faith, we are saved. Doesn't say anything about your behavior, does it? Doesn't mention being good girls or good boys. Here's the reality of that. Our righteousness is a product of our relationship with Jesus, not the cause of our relationship with Jesus. I do right because I'm saved by Jesus. I don't do right because I want to be saved by Jesus, because that would not work. 
which is the next one, eternal security. Because God gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true believer is secure in that salvation for eternity. If you have been genuinely saved, you cannot lose it. Salvation is maintained by the grace and power of God, not by the self-effort of the Christian. Your being saved was never a product of anything you ever did. It was always what Jesus did. Therefore, you cannot lose it because if you can't earn it, you can't lose it. It is given as a gift. And when you truly receive that gift, you got the gift. Eternity. People were created to exist forever. We will either exist eternally separated from God by sin or eternally with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is what we call hell. And to be eternally in union with him is paradise. <laughs> it's good. You're with everlasting love. You're with light. You're with hope. It's beyond anything we can imagine. So there, eight core, fundamental, non-negotiable beliefs that define who we are and what we believe as Christians. Know what you believe and know why you believe it. So I wanted to print those out for you with the scriptures. So if you have the wherewithal to do it, go away and look them up. Oh, this is why we believe this. This is why we believe this. All right, number two, keep it in context. Keep it in context. Like I said, you can twist scripture to say whatever you want. Did you know that God is actually a statue? I know it's true. It's in the Bible. So it must be true, right? It's in the Bible. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-two 32 says, for, for who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? He's a chunk of rock. God is a chunk of rock. If you take it out of context, you can make anything you want out of it. This is how people would justify their sin. If you put it in context, looked at the scripture around it, so if we read a little bit more of that passage, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield. Oh, he's a shield. I thought he was a rock. He's a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God is my strong fortress. He's a fortress. And he makes my way perfect. You've got to see it in context. Who was it written to? Why was it written? Why were they saying this? How does this fit with a bigger picture? The next one, similar. Check it out with other scripture. Now, that's not just context. What does the rest of scripture say about this truth? If somebody's coming to you with a truth and you're going, I'm not sure about that. What does the rest of scripture say about that truth? Next one, look for motive. Look for motive. Somebody's coming to you with some twisted truth. They're trying to, I mean, this is what Peter was dealing with. They're, they're trying to lure you into something. If it, if it sounds co too good to be true, probably. If they're going to benefit out of it, well, what's, what's that all about? Like, look for motive. And the last one that I, I talk about all the time. When you don't know, because there are some things I read and I'm like, what is that, God? I don't get that. When you don't know, look to what you do know. So if I read a passage of scripture and, you know, I'm thinking, 
my gosh, you know, you're being really harsh, God. It's, I think about Lot's wife. She's escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, don't look back. And she does. She gets turned into a pillar of salt. And I'm like, that's pretty harsh, God. <laughs> like, there's fire and stuff going on behind her. Who's not going to look? <laughs> Why would you do that? I don't have an answer. So I go to what I do know. I look for the rest of Scripture. My God is loving. My God is caring. My God doesn't want to harm anyone. Okay, there's something more to this that I don't understand. And I'm trusting that whatever happened to Lot's wife after she's in a pillar of salt, she's with you now, and it's awesome. <laughs> so when you don't know, look to what you do know. All right, let me bring this to a close. Truth and righteousness matter to God. And they should matter to his people. And here's why. How we live affects our Christian ministry. How we live as individuals affects the ministry of this church. How this church lives affects the ministry of the church big. People paint with a great big paintbrush. And every time one of these super pastors at these big churches stumble, and they all seem to at some point, there's a whole world out there looking, yeah, that's those Christians again. And they say this, and they do, but they're just a bunch of... How we live affects our ministry. And it's not about being holier than thou. That's not very attractive. It's about living... It's about living out our faith. I say this all the time. It's about living out our faith in such a manner that attracts people to Jesus. They see our lives and they see what's going on in their lives and they want to know, what is it about you that is different? What makes you behave this way? When everything's going wrong in the office, instead of huffing and puffing and slamming doors and making a noise, you just seem to weather the storm and, and you deal with it differently. When difficult circumstances happen in life, you know, with, you deal with it differently. What is it about you that gives you the ability to do that? It's not about me. But I can tell you what it's about if you like. It matters. How we live matters. When we live insincerely. <laughs> I remember when I was bricklaying back in the day. Not a lot of Christians on the scaffolding. And it was me and another guy. And I was a little more quiet than he was. If God raised the opportunity, I'd have a conversation. He was always all over the scaffold. Jesus, Jesus. And he's drunk in the bar taking his clothes off. <laughs> it's like you, you can't do that. And then for me, you know, trying to witness to these guys, I get painted with the same brush. How we live matters. Our righteousness matters. <laughs> it's living with, out our faith in such a way that all who see it are attracted to Christ. And it's living gracefully. You've got righteousness on one side, and you've got grace on the other side. 
I know so many churches that lean on the side of righteousness. I like to lean on the side of grace. And maybe one day when I'm standing in front of Jesus, he's going to say, seriously, what about all that stuff that was going on? Why didn't you deal with all that stuff that was going on? Now, here's why I, I, I read my Bible. And I honestly think when I stand in front of God, he's going to say, good job, man. I lean that way myself. Being graceful doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. Jesus was just wonderful about having this balance between what is right and what is true and being graceful. How he applied it. It's not easy, but it's important. And we need to master it. All right. I said I was finishing, didn't I? The whole point of this. Don't live a compromised life. It affects your witness. It affects my witness. It affects our witness. Seek his truth. Live in his truth. Seek his righteousness and live in his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks. I thank you for your, your word of truth. And your word of truth is sometimes difficult. We read a passage like this and Peter is ranting and raving about darkness and how they're worse off now and supernatural beings and all kinds of weird stuff in this passage. But Father, your truth is your truth and your righteousness is your righteousness and it matters. So I pray for each one of us, Father, if we've got areas of compromise in our lives and we just think that you overlook it. Father, I'm praying you bring it to our attention. You don't overlook it. And it matters. Teach us to live for you in truth in such a way that others that don't know you and don't know your truth would be attracted to your truth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And that's oh, those that just a second. Okay. I don't know if I mentioned. Right. Greens are going up. <laughs> just so I'd Go Rangers. Go. If I could have those that are taking the offering, come on up. That's all we heard all morning. Finally, the game was over. We're like. <laughs> Good morning, sir. Let's go ahead and give uh, thanks to our offering. Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, Lord, as the baskets go around, Lord, you don't need our money. You tell us that. You want our obedience. You also want our sorrows, our troubles, and everything else that's happening in our lives. We just trust you. So as that basket goes around, Lord, I just ask that we just jump in and say we surrender. Bless these tithes. Bless these offerings for the growth of your kingdom. And bless those givers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're looking at the back of your bulletin, and for those who are online, you could actually go to our events, but uh, what's this Monday? Anybody can tell me what's happening Monday? First Monday prayer. Hey guys, if you've never been a part of First Monday prayer, we actually come together. We bring about 20 or 30 chairs together. We just basically lift up our community and each other, and uh, prayer works. So I invite you to be here tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock. We'll be meeting right here in front of, um, in front here. Also, youth camp. Go ahead and mark your calendars, July 3rd through the 7th. 
And then I understand that the women are going on a cruise in late September. Well, it might not be a cruise. It might be a vacation. Either way, they're going to leave their worries and problems behind. So basically, ladies, this is the opportunity to leave your husbands and your children behind and have a great time at the women's retreat. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is just like a cruise, you can actually make a payment and have a payment plan. Costs are going up. It's $157, but there is a payment plan available. So look for Pam Chesney. Where are you at, Pam? There she is in back. And uh, go ahead and start making your payments now uh, so you don't have to make that uh, payment at the very end. You know, yesterday Mike mentioned that the elders came together, and it's just so awesome to see a band of brothers so committed to this church. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you, that defines Lakeway. I look at all the members at this church and how much we do for this church and so how many people are so involved from, you know, the band up here. Thank you for the worship this morning. For those in the back and the sound, for those who are watching our children, for those that are watching our lawn. I don't know if you drove by and you look at Lakeway and you're just like proud of our lawn. Well, that's not done by a corporation or a company or a lawn service. That's done by the people in this room. And on top of that, uh, I would just want to thank everybody that serves. And I want to call out a special group of ladies, uh, Heather, Laney, Angie, um, Ruby, and my wife, Kelly. Just a couple of weekends, they've made a difference in our flower beds. So Tuesdays, right before going to their Tuesday night uh, meeting or small group at 7 o'clock, they meet here at 6 o'clock, and they help just in the flower beds. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. And then last but not least, Vacation Bible School. Just mark your calendars. And then I've asked my brother Randy to come up and talk about Kairos and uh, something that we've been praying for and supporting as far as financially and meal tickets. And he's also going to close us. Thank you, Hector. Hey, I just want to thank all of you for your generous support to Kairos for the prayer that you filled out. Also, money you donated for the meal tickets. Uh, it goes a long way into what we're doing there. And I want to give you a little, just a little update on the weekend we just had last weekend. They let me out, by the way. Did you see that? Okay. Uh, so it's Bridgeport number six. It's the sixth weekend we've gone in to, to bring the love of Christ into these guys. We had 42 uh, participants start. That was 39 at the end. Uh, there were a couple that dropped out because they were Muslim and they wanted to go to the celebration that was on Saturday. We told them that you can't go and come back but unfortunately they made that decision so but no matter what it was a great weekend we start off uh weekend with uh just let know a little bit about what kairos is about we first we have a host each of us are hosting one of the participants we greet them when they first come in we talk to each other a little bit then we all get around in a big circle and everyone goes around and answers three questions so they get to know us and we get to know them a little bit it's a way of just breaking down these barriers of this walls that they create and bring up. Then we give a few talks, and one of them is uh, to know yourself and know that Jesus chose them. This is no mistake that they were there. God chose them to be there that weekend. And then they give to talk about the prodigal son, how no matter where you've been, Jesus is waiting for you, and he wants you to come back, right? And then the Friday, it's about encountering themselves, because what we're going to do is look at their selves, what's going on in their lives, do they want to change something, right? And on that day, we do the you're not alone. And the you're not alone is where we bring in that big prayer chain. And it probably would have gone around this whole 
room. That's how long this prayer chain was. Very powerful uh, because not only people like you have uh, committed to pray and did pray, we had prisoners from different prisons who are praying, who have gone through Kairos and praying for those guys. Really breaks them down. And as the weekend goes, they get they break down these barriers and they get more and more to where they start off kind of just, yeah, I'm here, not sure what it's all about. Some of them are there for the food. They're honest. They'll even tell you that. But by Saturday, they are up and dancing and singing to the music. Uh, matter of fact, um, one of the songs do on the weekend is the old song by the Youngbloods called Get Together. And it's, it's about, you know, be loving everybody around you. I couldn't believe it. All those guys got up, and they're holding their arms and all in a big line, just singing away to that old song. Some of them probably never even heard the song before. But by the end of the weekend, uh, what we do is we have the community, this is all the supporters of Kairos, come in and be there for the closing part. After they've gone through their ceremony, they get a little cross to show that they've completed the weekend. They come back in this room, and all of a sudden, all these people are in there. Yeah, like just like you would be sitting out in the, the audience. And, and then on top of that, we have the prior graduates from Cairo. So the other prisoners who are still there in the prison get to come and be a part of that celebration. There were 40 prisoners in there that had been through Cairo. They got to witness this and support these guys. And we probably had every one of those guys come up at the end and do an open mic and share how powerful it was for them on the weekend. And we had every one of them committed that they're going to come back and be a part of prayer and share. Because the goal of Kairos is not just that weekend. It's to keep them coming every week and praying for each other and sharing with each other and studying God's word together. And so they were very committed and very excited. And I just want to let you all know it was an awesome weekend. And thank you for your support in Kairos. So let me, uh, everybody rise up and we'll, I'll close you in prayer and we can go for the day. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. You are a wonderful God. And we love how you speak to us through your word. How you speak to us through your spirit who you put in each and every one of us, Lord. Thank you for the messages today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you will bless everyone who's here as they go. Uh, bless them through this week and let them go away thinking about what they heard today. And let it make a change in their lives. And those online as well, Lord. We just love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.